Today on Foodstuffs, we talk to a Toronto businessman who has enlisted the help of passionate educators to get at-risk youth in their schools to grow healthy produce for their communities. And then I head to Elmville, Ontario to talk to the man behind what has to be a strong contender for the tastiest pulled pork sandwich in all of Ontario. Uh, my name is David Lockett and you're listening to Foodstuffs. Is that okay? Yeah, thank you so much. Welcome to Foodstuffs, a podcast about food and stuff. <laughs> well, I don't think we can get more basic. No, I, that's as basic as it gets. <laughs> but I can't say that I haven't resorted to it in the real world. So, um, you know. There you go. It works. Seeing as it's the beginning of the school year, we thought we would share a story about how one Toronto-based group is working with schools to provide better opportunities for quote-unquote at-risk youth in their areas. I have a history of working with this, I'd say, designation of youth back home. So I kind of hate all the words we have to use, at risk, trouble, justice involved, blah, blah, blah. Um, They all kind of take you away from thinking about them as kids and individuals and uh, particularly kids born into rough situations. Um, so, So as someone who worked with this group of kids in and around Halifax, I know how important strong programming can be in making the difference in these kids' lives. Um... As soon as a kid gets involved, particularly with justice, like as soon as they become involved with the police, I kind of think there's two paths that can happen. And the most obvious one um, is that they feel disrespected. They rail harder. They kind of rebel even more against um, authority, parents, could be the police, whoever it is. Um, And they kind of go deeper into the antisocial behaviors that kind of got them there in the first place. The other option, though, is... um, the right person can step in and sort of cut through the crap and uh, and see what's really going on and, and show up for this kid and provide them another opportunity and kind of explain to them why it's in their best interest to check back in with themselves and, and make more pro-social decisions. Um, and that can be a parent. You would hope it was the parent, but Oftentimes it can be a basketball coach, it can be a pastor, it can be a garden manager. In less affluent areas, what politicians have deemed neighborhood improvement areas in Toronto, it's pretty vital to not only offer interesting, different alternatives to antisocial activities that are expected of kids in these neighborhoods, you know, the stereotypical kids getting up to no good. It's also important to provide attention and care and support for these kids, setting expectations beyond those that society has set for them. This May, we took a little trip to John Polanyi Collegiate Institute up in the Lawrence Heights neighborhood of Toronto to check out their school garden. This school serves the Flemington Community Housing Project in that neighborhood, and it's a school that up until recently housed a community food bank as well. While there, we talked to David Lockett. Upon first glance, you would not think that David would be much of a gardener. He's dressed all in black, looking super cool, but is soon highly apparent that this Toronto businessman loves the program that he's helped to found. As David explains, PACT, which stands for Participation, Acknowledgement, Commitment, and Transformation, has created a gardening program that is helping make more livable communities beyond just the school in and around the GTA. The Schoolyard Garden Project evolved out of a need that we uh, noticed within the community. And at the time, we had a cooking program and a film program, and I felt that 
gardening would be a really great thing for at-risk kids to get involved with uh, because it was outdoors, it was very tactile, which is, you know, caters to the learning styles of a, of a lot of kids that uh, fall between the cracks. They learn by doing. It was a wonderful metaphor for life in, in that you plant the seeds and you do all the work and you don't really see any results in the spring and then you nurture the plants and then somewhere around the middle of the summer you start to see the results of your efforts and then you're able to harvest uh, uh, you know, um, the fruits of your labor. And it really worked well. Um, they showed up regularly. They got tremendous benefit from it. There's something about kids getting um, connected to nature and you know, touching the soil. It's almost spiritual. And, uh, you know, we live in such a modern, electronic, internet-based world. There's multiple stimulation. There's something, something beautiful about parking yourself in a garden and uh, having your hands in the soil and seeing the beauty of, and the joy of nature and growth. And then at the end, um, being in a position where you could uh, take the uh, vegetables and donate them to the food bank across the street and develop a really wonderful sense of empathy which is all, all part of a community service order. They want youth to you know, make some progress, but at the same time make a contribution back to the community. So that was the beginning of the gardening program. Um, I was approached about a year and a half later uh, by a, a trustee at uh, the TDSB, a guy named John Hastings. And he said, you know, you should get your gardening program in the schools. And so with that thought, when we were invited to you know, put a proposal in to start our gardening program at the first school, um, I said, look, why don't we build a 10,000-square-foot garden? They kind of looked at me, and they said, well, why would you want to do that? I said, well, one really great reason is um, there's a food bank down the street, the North York Harvest Food Bank, and people literally go hungry in your neighborhood. So we can grow a lot more vegetables with 10,000 square feet than we can with a little garden plot. So they all slapped my hand, and that was, th that was the start of it. And... Um, and, and one of the things that we've been able to do is incorporate uh, the basic gardening lessons. We built the core curriculum. So maybe we can talk about that a little bit about that, how the garden is integrated into the, the school curriculum. Um, we our garden manager are, are all remarkable people. They're like, they're like, I think they're all farmers in their last life. They know about hard work, but most of them are teachers as well. So they got that passion in their belly and so you know having the kids come and visit it was able to look at you know what their interests were and talk to the teachers about uh, the curriculums and so we had a young lady named Natalie Bustead uh, who is a teacher and our garden coordinator uh, she built a, a base curriculum and I think there's about 12 or Benway no my 12 or 13 workshops three or four of them are for primary school and the other eight are for um are, are designed for high school. So now a teacher can come out and they can pick a lesson and incorporate that into their curriculum. And they're designed around their curriculum. If a teacher wants to bring the kids out and teach them biology, then they can go online and pick a program and we'll teach it for an hour. And so they'll email the teacher, they'll schedule a date, they'll come out, and you know they can learn about composting in our worm bin. Can you talk to us a little bit about the impacts that you've seen in in the kids? First, they they their minds are like sponges, and when you engage them in collaborative experiential learning, their minds just pick it up, and they all go back and they write journals, 
and um, they write about their experiences in the garden, and we posted a lot of them, and they're, they're so touching. One of the things that we find is if you create a kind and loving environment unencumbered by bureaucracy, and you get highly passionate people in place, and you create a space for creativity, and you give them the credit, stuff just happens. And that, that's an example of what's going on here, right? And if you keep doing that, it just gets better and better and better and better. So, yeah, and I want to talk about that because we talked a little bit about how the program was designed and it's designed a lot differently than some of the programs, especially uh, city and government run and funded programs. Yeah, we talked uh, yesterday uh, or the day before, we talked about this concept called form following function. Often, you know, people do things and they don't take the time to really understand the needs in the trenches. What we've tried to do is we've tried to get ourselves in a position and we've tried to evolve and continuously approve and understand the needs and build the programs to eloquently meet the needs. And this garden is a prime example of that. If you look at every aspect of how we took the time to understand what the curriculum was and to enhance and work with it to build programs that meet the needs eloquently. And I think that's the magic here. If you talk to anybody that works for PAC, what they'll tell you is, I love what I do. I, I feel like I'm not only am I making a difference, but I'm helping build a model that's getting better and better and improving. And I think that's critical. And I can tell you, if you came to this garden three years ago and you looked at it, and you came back now, you see this dramatic improvement. And if you come back in three years from now, you're going to see even more improvement. How do we get from this stage where the program has been so successful to a stage where it's adopted more broadly? The big, the big answer to that, there's a real simple answer to that question to change the world. And, and the answer lies within the power of the community. And I think we're going through a paradigm shift. Uh, there's a whole generation of uh, brilliant people in business, far more intelligent than I'll ever be, that have the capacity to go through a switch, right? Corporations have to do this. We give away billions in this country we write out checks. Canadians are, are benevolent people. But there's, there's, there's this, this innate component missing. People write out checks and they feel like they've contributed and done good things for society. But we haven't taken responsibility for society. And I think that's what we've done at PAC. And that's what I've done individually. I've said, it's just not good enough. You know, and I think... I want to be an example in the organizations that I'm involved with. I want them to be an example of if we could just take a little bit of the talent and the resources out of the business community and unconditionally build those models, we'll change the world. And it's just a, it's a, just a little paradigm shift in thinking. And it's about a collective consciousness. And I think we're, we're already seeing it. You know, we're beginning to see that. Like, what would happen if we could get to these people early through early prevention programs and give them the best program in the world, integrated continuity based to change their lives? What would it look like? And that's going to be business people saying, you know, I got a billion dollar company. Why don't I use some of my resources, pick a model and make it great? And, and, it, and that's because I've gone from being a good corporate citizen to taking responsibility for others. And, and that's what we need to do in the world. The, res the results, the dramatic change that could happen, could happen like that, as more and more people take on that responsibility to, and, and are willing to engage the power, the resources, and the talent of our corporate communities. So, like, who's the next corporate guy? Maybe there's a corporate guy listening to this. Call me, right? And I'll tell you how, if you're committed, you can change the world. And you'll never get greater gratification from it because, you know, money's one thing. 
enriching and changing and transforming your community and the lives of the people uh, on the planet is 10 times greater, 100 times greater than making money. When you look at this schoolyard garden project, yep. what, are you, what are you most proud of? The people. Uh, Adam Dirks uh, and uh, Isabella are remarkable. You know, um, it's just getting incredible people involved to look at what they've done and how they've been able to take our values and manifest something so wonderful. And I'm proud of some of the teachers here who have become the champions. Uh, guys like Rahim Esaba, who is a, the business teacher. He's, a, he's a, got his master's in counseling, and he's dedicated to helping at-risk kids. You know, it, it's almost like if you have a vision, right, and you can see it clearly from the beginning, few, few can't. But the closer you get to that vision, the more people can, can you know, that's not a judgment. That's just a reality of human nature. It's like, it's like when the garden's built and it's beautiful, then other people get it. But that's not a judgment. It just says, you know, everybody plays a role chronologically in the process, at which point, you know, um, everybody will bring a thing to manifestation that will help people. So I'm, pr I'm proud of everybody, and I'm just blown away at the impact on, on the kids. David, thank you so much. Yeah, that was perfect. That was great. Absolutely. So that was David Lockett talking to us about the Pact Grow and Learn Gardening Project on site at John Polanyi High School in the Lawrence Heights District of Toronto. What an amazing day. That was just so fantastic. So many people involved. And unfortunately, we didn't get to talk about all of them during that interview, but we sure did meet a bunch of just fantastic people that day. Yeah, so many passionate people. There's Adam Dirks, who is one of the people who helped to run the garden every day, uh, Rahim Esaba, the business teacher at the school, a few of his students, uh, Sarah Santos, if you will, uh, Hillary and Aditya from the Rotman's business class who explained their term project, which is a weekly CSA or uh, community supported agriculture box that they sold to their teachers, where for essentially each vegetable subscription someone would purchase, they would be providing the same amount of produce to their local food bank, which is super sweet. And all the food was grown there, right there in the garden by them. So it's just a fantastic project. And as you, as you can tell, we could talk for days and days about all the products and byproducts of this packed garden, not to mention the handful of other school gardens uh, that the program has helped establish across the city, but we just don't have the time. No, sadly, always our issue. Uh, but I did tape my interview with Sarah, Hillary, and Aditya. So we're going to post that to our SoundCloud under Extra Stuffs. Um, so have a listen. If you want to hear more about their stock market, S-T-A-L-K, stock market, so good, uh, CSA project, and how that got them on their trip to South Korea this summer. They went to Seoul. Uh, absolutely check it out there. Yeah, so that's going to be up on foodstuffs. That life. <laughs> All right, now to change it up completely, we head to Elmvale, Ontario for a tasty bite. This is a town about six kilometers outside of Wasaga Beach, which is a beach town about an hour and a half outside of Toronto. For real, brace yourselves, even if you're the littlest a bit hungry. I listened to this after you got home, Brian, and was just incredibly jealous. Mm -hmm. It's uh, not the type of thing I even crave, a pulled pork sandwich. Uh, can you explain where this is, though? Where are we headed? Basically, to the middle of nowhere. <laughs> this is a little uh, pink painted shack in the gas station parking lot, and there's nothing around. You're looking at farm fields all around you. It sounds like kind of the south that conjures images of Texas and barbecue and smoke shacks and pit masters. Am I getting warm? 
you're getting pretty warm, but I would say it's it's different from the south. I would say this is a Canadian version of barbecue. Every time I go up and see my parents, I've got to stop in because these sandwiches are just oh, delicious. So good. I don't know if we should say anything else. Let's just take a few minutes and live vicariously through Brian. Here he is talking to owner and cook at the Saucy Pig in Elmville, Ontario, Wade Stamp. In Canada, a lot of people think um, pulled pork, they think a oh, slow cooker. Yeah. See, and I just throw up thinking of that. <laughs> so what's the difference? Why, why, why the smoker? Just for the flavor. Like, I have a, a wood pellet uh, smoker. It, uh, I smoke stuff for, I want to say 14 hours until it's, until I think it's done, I guess. And then just take it and start carving her up. There's just so much flavor to it. Eh? How did you, like, when did you start smoking? I had a few little smokers where you know you'd build a fire in one end and whatever it's just always intrigued me that especially the flavor of it and it don't matter what you do it's still got its own flavor like if you smoke chicken it still tastes like chicken but it's just got that i don't know it's like a campfire and i guess from being a small uh from the time i was a small uh boy we've had a hunting camp up in halliburton forest uh, since 1960. So from the time I was two years old, every year was go to the camp and there was a huge massive wood stove. And everything just seemed to taste so good on that wood stove, whether it was a roast in the oven or a turkey or steaks cooked on top or, or whatever it was. And I don't know, and from that you're always going on little fishing trips and little hunting trips and whatever where you just got to stop, maybe build a little fire and cook a hot dog or cook a hamburger or a moose burger or, or something, right? So it's always back to that little fire smoking. But my whole idea was a steak sandwich. Oh, really? Steak, yeah. Where okay. do you go to get a steak sandwich? Like, where do you go? Like, I don't know where you would go to have a steak sandwich. So that was our idea. And I said, okay, let's, let's do that. So we made the little menu up. And so once we bought it, I'll just back up. Once we bought it, I phoned our three kids and said, okay, we bought the trailer, we need a name. Like in five minutes, the other daughter phones back and goes, how about the Saucy Pig? I went, okay, how about the All Saucy right. Pig, right? <laughs> so we did it and then I phoned my buddy and he said, okay, if we're driving up the road and see your sign and my wife and I both happen to like pig and we pull in and I get out and come up to your window, two things better happen. It better be pig and it better be saucy. <laughs> I went, okay, well, I love pulled pork, so let's go there. So, again, did some more research and found out about this Traeger barbecue. And so that's what you use, the, the, the Traeger? Yeah, I love it. So do it. you smoke everything here? Or yep, do you, okay. yep. I'll get my butts. I get used pork butts, and I... Uh, Is there something about the butt over a shoulder or something like that? that yeah, well, there's, there's more fat in it. Yeah. And it's a cheap cut. Yeah. And the slower you cook it, the the more flavor there is in it too so are there secrets to, to, to oh yeah it? like I, I think there is a few like I, I marinate it yeah uh, like I coat it and then I'm not going to tell you what I do <laughs> uh, but then I use uh, I want to say 12 different spices okay in my rub just put her on there and the 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 smoking 
if it's going to take on any smoke flavor, it's going to be like within the first three hours. Okay. So, and you can see when you when you cut some, uh, when the roast is done, you kind of pull it apart. They call it a smoke ring, and you right. can see in there like pink, like that much. Yeah. And so the first time it worked, everything just worked nice. So I did it for three hours, and then just cranked the heat up a little bit for another four or five hours, and then turn it back down again, and just let it cook it always ended up really good so wow i mean that's something because it's it's you want to get that nice bark they call it on the outside yeah, right yeah but you, you can't dry it out too too much right no but then like i like to steam it like the okay. next day and get it soft again well that'll take any crispy crusty away yeah okay off of it okay so then you've got your pulled pork smoked you steam it uh, the, the next day. Now we're building the sandwich. You start with uh, a nice cheese bun. Yep. What, what can you tell me about the, the cheese bun? Because they're, they're local here, aren't they? Yeah, at the at the bakery in, in Elmville. And again, homemade stuff, right? Homemade bread, and like you just grow up with that stuff. So when I moved to Elmville, you know, they said uh, my wife said there's a there's a nice bakery here in town too. So. We went over there and then we see these round cheese buns for hamburger buns and I got one one day and barbecued a couple of burgers and like that bun is just ridiculous good. Yeah. But you, it's funny because you don't use, like a lot of places for a pulled pork, they'll use a round like hamburger bun. Yeah. Use more like a, a sausage bun. Yeah. Like a long bun. How and and I, I started out using the round bun. Right. And then wrap it up in paper and hand it to you. Yeah. Well, that could be anything inside that package. Yeah. So you're not getting that, oh my God, wow factor, I guess, at the window, right? So I had the long bun for the hot dog. Right. And then, I don't know, one day I just thought, I'm just going to try it and see. Well, it was just night and day. And I really think that there's something, it adds, like, from a, not just a flavor, but a texture standpoint, because you get that crusty. That crunch all the time. Yeah. Almost every bite, There's and I toast them on the stove there too to yeah to make it like a cold bun it's just again it's not the same no so the meat has to be hot the barbecue sauce has to i make my own barbecue sauce it has to be cold okay but it's got to have the coleslaw yeah for me you need the crunch too right? without the cold without the coleslaw on that pork sandwich it's blah and some people come and say can i have it without the slaw well, you can, but why? Well, well, God, I don't like coleslaw. Well, then have it that way. Yeah. But I, I sometimes will say, um, if you don't have coleslaw on your pulled pork sandwich, it's like petting a cat with no hair. <laughs> it's just not the same. And it's got to be ice cold. Yeah. And like it's just the whole so combination. You got it. So it's hot bun. Hot bun. Hot pork. Hot pork. Cold. Uh, barbecue sauce yeah. or cold it's hard to keep it cold I always get yeah. it out of the fridge with it but sometimes when it's busy it just has to sit out and it's not yeah. cold cold but but the coleslaw has to be cold it's just the the whole combination of the thing I think I gotta have a I think I gotta have some pulled pork <laughs> <laughs> well I'll have a good one for you too alright thanks a lot appreciate oh, you're it you're welcome uh... that was Wade Stamp <laughs> Order a head chef of the Saucy Pig in Elville, Ontario. Just tell me everything about it, please. 
Just uh, explain. Are you sure you can handle it? I need to torture myself oh my even God. more. Well, you heard the components of the sandwich, but really there's nothing that can compare to being there, sitting in the sun on a picnic table, face full of barbecue sauce. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell you, it's just everything that Wade does there is, you can tell. He, he's, he's doing it for quality and he's doing it the real barbecue way, which is slow. Mm-hmm. Low and slow, right? So it, you hear it, you you taste it in the in the pulled pork. You taste it in the French fries, which he talked to me for about twenty minutes about how he had to go through five different potato suppliers just to get the right <laughs> potatoes, and he hand slices a bunch of really thin ones to make sure you get some nice crispies. The one thing I'll say though is, be prepared to wait a little while. Wade's you can't be out, in a rush. You can't be in a rush. Wade has said to me, "Hey, if you're in a rush." There's a McDonald's about five minutes away. Go there. <laughs> I am in no rush. And right. that's a true barbecue uh, uh, sort of credo. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's going to take a long time. We're going to do it right. And it's going to be worth it. And trust me, it is. So we never really plan to have thematic episodes. I don't know if that comes across. Um, but we have continually been finding commonality between them, right? Um with this episode, I have to say, I'm having a bit of a hard time. So I'm curious what your pull together is. For me, it's like very obvious that here's two men who have seen a need in their community and kind of done the best job they can possibly do to address the need. Hey, that's but a good one already. Yeah, but, but it's would, a bit loose. Uh, maybe. I, I would say, though, it makes me think about how the memories and the, the things you experience in your childhood just stick with you. You know, for, uh, for Wade, it was the memory of, you know, um, that, that wood stove growing up, uh, mm-hmm. camping and, and cooking everything by fire. And that he, that spawned this business for him. And, and for these kids, hopefully what, what we're doing right now and what's being hap- happening with this, uh, gardening program is we're implanting these memories and 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 uh, this knowledge of of agriculture and of business and uh, everything like that. So to and me, healthy fresh produce being delicious. Exactly, I think that's it too. homemade stuff, right? Exactly, which so. actually makes a lot of sense to me. I really like that. Yeah. Um, I'm still shaking off the pickiness of me being a picky eater as a child, and it's cool for me to see that that is almost being curbed by the John Flannery kids. If you do listen to the extra stuffs uh, from this week, you'll hear these kids talking about how Adam Dirks, the garden manager, really encourages them to actually like pick a piece of tarragon, and what does that taste like? You can imagine for these kids, there's a lot of times where are a lot of things in those gardens that are brand new to them, and it's exciting instead of being daunting. It's such an encouraging environment. That's so I really like that, Brian. That's cool. Yeah, very cool. Next time on Foodstuffs, Brian checks out an aquaponics farm in North Toronto that's feeding off of the symbiotic relationship between plant life and fish. And Jess talks to a man from Sackville, New Brunswick, who's making use of the fallow orchards that surround the area and making something tasty to drink. Tasty and alcoholic and delicious. 
by the next time we speak to you, you should have many ways to listen to us. We're setting up our iTunes and Stitcher accounts very soon. So thank you so much for your patience, everyone. And thanks again to Eric Betlam, Ken Stauer, and Sam Petit, and everybody at uh, CIUT for letting us back into Studio 2. We really, really love it here. Also, major thanks to David Lockett, Ben Marshall, Adam Dirks, and Raheem Esaba, who hung out with us that day at John Polanyi Collegiate Institute. Obviously, also all of the kids that uh, showed us around and made us feel welcome. And, of course, to Wade Stamp for his delicious pulled pork sandwiches. We'll be sure to link up to the Sassy Pig Facebook page. In case you haven't drilled enough already. Exactly. Speaking of Facebook, you can look us up on Facebook. Just search for Foodstuffs. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, both using at foodstuffslife. Check out our website, foodstuffs.life, to find everything we've talked about today. And come on back in two weeks. We'll be here. I'm Jessica Walker. And I'm Brian Goman. Thanks for listening to Foodstuffs. Foodstuffs! Listening, listening to, to foodstuffs food <laughs> hijacked that's a work <laughs>